Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Historian Bill Federer is back to share more amazing stories of answered prayers. And Greg Patton will be living in today's world. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Because of your faithful prayers and financial support, we are able to be here with you. Thank you. If you're tuning in for the first time, be sure to get your new listener pack. It's free of charge and full of great information on the ministry and a gift just for you. Get your free new listener pack by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. From the early days of America to the present, this nation faced overwhelming challenges. But men and women of courage step forward in faith to see obstacles miraculously overcome. Bill Federer is here to share some amazing stories of answered prayers. Faith motivated America's founding fathers, influenced national independence, and inspired our foundational documents. Wars were raged over faith. Men died for faith. And out of the smoke and grit, a nation was born. From the founding of Jamestown in 1607 to the passage of the Declaration of Independence in 1776, faith has shaped America. However, historians often overlook the influence of biblical faith on the making of America, but not the historian that I have on the program with me today. I'm pleased to welcome back Bill Federer. Bill has been called a walking encyclopedia because he has an ability to remember every date, person, and event in world history. Bill is a nationally known speaker, best-selling author, and president of AmeriSearch Incorporated, a publishing company dedicated to researching America's noble heritage. He is the host of the television program Faith in History, which airs on the TCT network on television stations across America. Bill will be one of our featured presenters at our virtual Summer Prophecy Conference, which is coming up on July 30th, and he's back again to talk about his two-book set, Miracles in American History, Volume 1 and 2. Bill, thanks for being back on the Watchman on the Wall program with me today. Thank you, James. Well, we're very excited that you'll be a featured speaker at our virtual Summer Prophecy Conference, which begins uh, on July 30th, also at our Is It Too Late conference in Columbus, Ohio, October the 28th through the 30th. And you shared a little bit about the virtual conference. Would you share with our listeners a little bit about your conference topics once again? One of them is the book I did on the history of socialism. And I go through that the French Revolution, their motto was liberty, equality, fraternity. Fraternity was their word for socialism. The fraternity, the group, the collective, and it turned into a mob. And equality can be understood two ways. In America, it was equal treatment before the law. In France, it was everyone having an equal amount of stuff. And if the fraternity, the group, the collective, thinks you have too much stuff, it'll use the power of the state to take away your stuff and redistribute it and even kill you. And so they chopped off 30,000 heads in Paris, turns into this chaos, then it eventually got taken over by Napoleon, but that was the model for every socialist revolution since. You kill off the old order, and you promise everybody that everybody's going to have an equal amount of stuff, but what happens is whoever controls the purse strings has the power. Whoever is in the government position doling out all the stuff, they like their job, and they want to keep their job and they tend to funnel more stuff to those that will support them and hold off stuff 
from those that want to challenge them, and it turns into them being dictators. It's inevitable. It always happens. And then I go through Karl Marx and Russia and Venezuela and all these other different things. But it's an amazing book, and I go through the tactics of how they manipulate public opinion and all the different gaslighting and psychological projection where they accuse you of exactly what they're guilty of. We see that every day in the news. But it'll be a very eye-opening talk. It sounds like what's going on in the United States right now. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. After World War II, Germany, France, England gave independence to their former colonies, and they started brand-new countries. India, Egypt, Israel, Albania, Romania, Hungary, all these brand-new countries, and they elected brand-new leaders, and it looked hopeful, except the Soviet Union decided to send in KGB agents into these countries and identify groups. Karl Marx called it critical theory, and they would call it critical economic theory, critical race theory, whatever it is, but they break people into groups ethnically, Bosnian, Croat, Serbs, economically, religiously, Sunni, Shia, Orthodox, racially, didn't matter, and then they would pit the groups against each other. They would have some be victims, some be the oppressors, and they would organize riots, haves and have-nots, and then they would stir the riots into violence and into bloodshed. Once it gets into bloodshed, people are emotionally involved, and they throw out all logic and reasoning, and then they co-opt the media with bribes and threats to blame the new leader of the new country for all the problems. And then they nurture weak links in the military, and when the country gets panicky and confused enough, they do a coup or a rigged election. They replace the leader with a Soviet puppet. The violence suddenly stops, and the people breathe a sigh of relief until they realize they just gave up their free country, and now they're a puppet of the Soviet Union. Hmm. Forty-five countries fell to the Soviet Union this way. They were called behind the Iron Curtain. So I go through these tactics and how they've been perfecting them for 70 years. The only difference is this time around they've been used on American soil uh, against us. Miracles in American History, Volume 1, contains 32 amazing stories of answered prayer. Today, I'd like to focus more on Volume 2. Tell me about amazing faith that shaped the nation. Right, well, I start with William Penn, who was the son of a famous admiral in England who defeated the Dutch, captured Jamaica from the Spanish, and helped restore King Charles II to the throne of England. And he was made a sir, which means he was knighted. And the young William Penn was going to Oxford, but he kept hanging around this group of Christians on campus called Quakers, who were talking about freedom of conscience, that you believe something because you're convinced in your very heart, not because you're afraid that the king will chop your head off. And they talked about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and the group gets raided and he's in jail, and the dad fishes him out of jail it's again and again and again. Finally, he's in the Tower of London, and he's facing death, and they expect him to write an apology, but instead he writes, no cross, no crown, no pain, no palm, that Christ crosses, Christ's way to Christ's palm. In other words, you have to suffer to be a Christian, and the dad pulls some strings, gets him out, and then the dad dies, and then William Penn takes the inheritance, goes to the king, Charles II, and because the king appreciated the dad, that he gives young William Penn 45,000 square miles in the New World, in land that his dad got from the Dutch when he defeated the Dutch in the military. And the king named it after William Penn's dad, Pennsylvania. And so young William Penn gets this land, and he decides to open it up for persecuted Christians. 
and people persecuted for their faith. And so into Pennsylvania is a holy experiment to see if Christians of different denominations could live together in the same colony. Now, when you have freedom of conscience, it's a little bit different. You can have evangelism. You really can't have evangelism where there's a king who will burn you at the stake if you don't believe the way he tells you to believe. Mm -hmm. I mean, could you imagine having a big meeting and the guy up there saying, no, if you feel led to believe what I just preached, uh, of course, if you don't, we're going to take you out and back and tie you up and kill you. It's like, okay, everybody believes. No, they don't believe it. So William Penn said, force makes hypocrites. Just persuasion only that makes converts. And you can only be persuaded when you have the freedom to choose or not to choose. And so we began to see in America what was called the Great Awakening Revival. And you had George Whitfield come. He preached seven times up in the colonies. He preached in Philadelphia. And Ben Franklin printed the sermons of George Whitfield and helped spread this revival. And it helped unite the colonies prior to the Revolutionary War where before each colony had its own denomination that they were jealous about. So Virginia was Anglican, Massachusetts was Puritan, Rhode Island was Baptist, New York was Dutch Reformed, Delaware and New Jersey were originally Swedish Lutheran, Connecticut and New Hampshire were Congregationalist, Maryland Catholic, and they didn't get along and they tar and feather each other. But then when the revolution started, they all felt comfortable going to Philadelphia because there was one of each of their churches there. And so God smiled upon the fact that the attitude was, even though we don't agree with each other doctrinally, you are willing to fight and die for my freedom. I need to let you practice your faith. And so this Philadelphia experiment began to influence the other colonies and began to spread. So I go through these different revivals. In the early 1800s, you had Williams College, Massachusetts, some students walking back to campus. There is a downpour of rain. They hide under a haystack. They pray for world missions while they're under the haystack. They decide to commit their lives to world missions. The rain stops. They go back to class. They just tell their classmates they just committed their lives to world missions. Their friends start committing their lives to world missions. Lo and behold, in the next 50 years, they send out like 5,000 missionaries. They're going to Burma, Adoniram Judson, the Caribbean. They're going to you know, Hawaii with Hiram Bingham. They're going all around the world. And then I tell the story about the evangelists going to Hawaii, and then the Polynesia. Then you have another part of the Second Great Awakening revival, Charles Finney. And he was an attorney and used to arguing cases before a jury. And he sees many references to the Bible in his Blackstone's Law Commentary. So he buys a Bible and he reads it and he says, you know, God, if you're real, you show me. And he goes out to the woods, kneels down and prays, says, I'm not going to move until you show yourself. And he says that after a couple hours, he felt waves of liquid love and it just impacted him. And he went into his law office and closed the door and prayed. And he didn't realize he prayed the entire night. The next thing he knows is the doorbell rings and it's a deacon who's suing another deacon. And he says, how's my lawsuit going? And Charles Finney, you know, looks up from having prayed all night. And he goes, I'm sorry, I've been retained by a higher authority, and you're going to have to find somebody else to argue your case. And so he goes out and preaches the gospel with the convincing arguments of a lawyer before a jury. He's the one who invented altar calls. Prior to them, they had an anxious seat where if you're seeking the Lord, you'd sit on the front row on the one side. And, but now, he says, you serve the devil openly. I'm going to call for you to stand up right where you're at and declare you're going to serve Jesus openly. And so his preaching was that, yes, you're saved by grace, but you should have some fruit that follows. And that influenced somebody in England 
named George Williams, and he started the YMCA, Young Men's Christian Association. Finney's preaching influenced William and Catherine Booth, and they started a group called Christian Mission to rescue young girls out of sex trafficking in England, and then later they changed the name of it to Salvation Army, all right? And it's still going on today. And so this Second Great Awakening took place. I go through how a layman's prayer revival, 1857. But all these are in this book that you mentioned, Miracles in American History, Volume 2. Well, I love to read biographies, so the Volume 2 is my favorite of the two books because it's a very biographical. You start in early American history, and you continue on to more recent history. You have a section in there on uh, Billy Graham and his life and his ministry. When you start to see where the things that we have today, where it came from, for example, Charles Finney had somebody at his church named Jeremy Lamphere, and he's in New York, and they have an economic crisis. Lots of people are out of work. So Jeremy Lamphere puts a sign out in front of his little business saying, come in at noon and pray. And, like, nobody comes in, maybe one. But the next week, a half dozen. The next week, a couple hundred. Next week, a couple thousand. But lo and behold, like 30,000 people are meeting in New York every day at noon, And this happens in Chicago, in Boston, in Los Angeles, all across the country. This layman's prayer revival, there's nobody organizing it. It's spontaneous, and it's a Christian layman. And then in Chicago, one of the businessmen was a shoe salesman named Dwight L. Moody. And so he gets saved and gets turned on. He goes and finds an abandoned saloon in downtown Chicago, and he starts a school for these poor kids. And somebody went in there and witnessed it. And he goes, I saw Deal Moody with a little black boy there, and he was trying to read the Bible, and he was struggling to pronounce these words. And he says, if God can use that person, he can use anybody. <laughs> and so, lo and behold, Deal Moody's class grows to 1,500 people in Chicago. Well, in Illinois is Abraham Lincoln, and he gets elected president. And on his way from Springfield, he stops off in Chicago on his way to Washington, D.C., and he attends the Sunday school class of D.L. Moody. Afterwards, D.L. Moody says, well, Mr. President, do you have anything to tell these students? He says, yes, if you do what that man tells you, even you might be president someday. And so D.L. Moody preaches across the country to crowds of hundreds and thousands of people. And then another person in Chicago that sort of gets saved off of this is a baseball player in the 1890s named Billy Sunday. And he comes out of a bar with some of his players, and he hears singing of Christian songs, gospel songs that his mom used to sing when he was a kid. So he goes down the street and and listens, and he he gets tugged on in his heart, and he ends up attending their little meetings, ends up going to church, meets one of the young girls, and decides that he loves her, and the dad won't let her marry him because he considered baseball players 'er ne'er-do-wells, that after their body wears out, they're good for nothing, and he finally convinces the dad, he lets him get married, and his wife's name was Nell, and he says that I always did what Nell told me, and so she basically organized all of his campaigns, and he preached all across the country, and guess what? They just invented radio, and so Billy Sunday pioneered gospel radio, and here we are on the radio, right? But it was this that influenced Billy Graham, and the Billy Graham crusades all around the world with millions and millions of people hearing the gospel. But it's a fascinating book, Miracles in American History, Volume 2, The Amazing Faith That Shaped the Nation. I recently read the biography 
of E.F. Weber, the founder of this ministry. Billy Sunday was friends with E.F. Weber. They were on radio and did crusades together. E.F. founded Southwest Radio Church in 1933. He had Billy on some early programs with him. So it's interesting how all of that's connected. Today I'm talking with author and historian Bill Federer about his two-volume book set, Miracles in American History. The books are available in our online resource center at swrc.com, or you can get your copies by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Bill, it seems when Americans have prayed, God intervened. We here on the Watchman on the Wall program have said for years, God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. So the conclusion that I get from reading your books is if we pray for miracles in America today and we believe, then God will answer those prayers. Two things always precede revival. One, it's a crisis that turns people to Christ. Right? Most people don't come to the Lord when everything's perfect. It's some personal crisis, debt, discouragement, divorce, depression. Well, all the nation is is a bunch of individuals. And so sometimes if a nation is not turning to the Lord, God will let it go through crises. But his goal is to have them turn to him. The second thing that I've seen that always precedes revival is it's the preaching of the law before people see their need for the Lamb. So you have the first great awakening, you got Jonathan Edwards preaching sinners in the hands of an angry God, and and what's all that about? That God is a just God, and he cannot help it. It is his very nature, and being just means he has to judge every sin. If he does not judge a sin, in law, silence equals consent. If you remember the old wedding ceremonies, the pastor says, anybody against this wedding, speak now or forever hold your peace. If you're sitting there silent, holding your peace, your silence is actually giving consent to the wedding. So if there are sins going on and God is silent, not judging them, he's effectively giving consent to the sin, and if God gives consent to sin, he is no longer a just God. He denies his just nature. He denies himself. And God cannot deny himself, so he is going to judge every sin, but he's a loving God in that he provided the lamb to take the judgment for the sin. So he's all just and that he judges everything, but he's all love and that he provided the lamb to take the judgment. In the Bible, Abraham and Isaac are going to the top of Mount Moriah. Isaac says, Father, we have the wood for the sacrifice, we have the coals, but where's the lamb? And Abraham says, Son, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And you can read it two ways. God will have the sacrifice, a ram in the bush up on the top, or God will provide himself. Mm-hmm. As the sacrifice. And that's what happened. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the only begotten Son of God, became the Lamb, and he took the judgment for all of our sins. So that's why we approach this holy, perfectly just God through the Lamb that God himself provided that paid for all of our sins. Before we close out this segment, Bill, I would like to ask you a favor. Would you pray for our country? Yes. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray for America. I pray, Lord, that in our crises, we turn to Christ. And, Lord, we acknowledge that you're a just God. We deserve your judgment. But you're a loving God, and that you provided Jesus, your only Son, to take the judgment. And, Jesus, you, out of love for the Father and out of love for us, became the Lamb. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. You experienced that day on the cross as if it was a thousand years. We thank you for doing it in our place. And, Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit go across this country, 
May righteousness be restored. We pray for the young children in schools that are being taught lies. Lord, we pray for the countries in the world that have been abandoned to Sharia and the Christians that are being persecuted. Lord, we pray for revival in America and in the world. And through the Bible, we see that you often wait until things look hopeless before you raise up little nobodies, whether a Moses, a Gideon, a David. Lord, it looks hopeless, but we trust you to raise up a little nobodies, each and every one of us who are small in our own eyes, but big in faith and courage for you to use us in this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. Well, we've been talking with Bill Federer about the books Miracles in American History, Volume 1 and 2. Bill, thanks for being on with me. I look forward to seeing your presentation at our virtual Summer Prophecy Conference in July and seeing you in person at our conference in October. Thank you, James. In our Resource Center today, we have Bill Federer's series, Miracles in American History. Volume 1 and 2 of the books can be yours for a gift of $40 or more. And Volumes 1 through 4 of the DVDs are yours for a gift of $65 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Get the books and DVDs today. You can also order online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Watchman on the Wall is here to make sense of the nonsense and bring clarity to the world around us. One of the ways we do that is through our brand new podcast. You can now listen to insightful interviews, current events from a biblical perspective, and prophecy that helps you make sense of the world around you. Subscribe today to the Watchman on the Wall podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Greg Patton is here to share another story from living in today's world. You know, one of those things we fail to do, even as Christians, is to be friendly. We talk about being soul winning and getting out there and doing the job. You're a good soul winner. Are you a good people person? Because I think that's one of those skills that we need to really work on. It's very hard to introduce somebody to Jesus if they're not willing to listen to you or they don't even like you. I've shared in my testimony time how much I liked a 16-year-old boy named Kevin Mitchell who liked me as a radio announcer, befriended me, took care of some things in my life, and then he popped the question, would you come to church with me sometime? And boy, that was kind of a shock. I knew that he was a good guy, but to go to church? He wanted me to go to his Baptist church with him. It was called I-74 Baptist Church. And you know, when these things start to happen in your life, Satan is going to double up and work really hard, as are his demon spirits, to stop you from doing anything good for God. And I believe so often, certainly to stop you from trusting Christ as Savior. But I like this guy. He was nice to me. And I thought, I'll, you know, do the kid a favor. I'll go to church with him. How did I respond? It was unbelievable. From the get-go, it was a big step through the door, and there was an elderly gentleman there by the name of Mr. McGowan. He was old. And you know, my wife, who was a former model, we stepped in dressed to the hill. We were two wild-looking people in this conservative Baptist church. But he was so nice. It looked somehow past all of that, and it just seemed like I was just one of the regulars there. Introduced me to a few people, took us to a place where we could sit in the minor auditorium there. And I say that because it was a really old building. Even the ceiling was collapsing somewhat in a couple of areas. 
But that's how God did it. And I thought, wow, here's Kevin. He's a nice guy, and he claims Christianity, and here's this Mr. McGowan. And Satan continued to work in a couple of areas. Being from the North, I always had trouble with Southerners. They meant they really talk funny. It'd be hard to understand sometimes. I remember when we were doing some phone work, if you will, trying to get down to Greenville, South Carolina to go to school, and I'd talk to people and operators at that time on the phone. I couldn't understand what they were saying. I'm thinking, what is the problem? Just speak English. Try to be clear. Let's talk together. And so I just had a thing about that. Interesting, and that we get weird sometimes. And then I also was a fitness buff in so many areas and playing in all the sports and being a runner, so on and so forth. I thought you ought to be fit. It was interesting because Myron Young, the pastor of this church, was a overweight Southerner. Satan will do it, whatever he can to get you to reject. But again, Myron, nicest guy. And I listened extra hard to understand what he was saying, and it was very clear to me. In his message, I needed to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. I heard that that Sunday, and when I came back to the New Year's Eve party, that watch night service, he was really on target that night. And as a result of his preaching that New Year's Eve, I went forward to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Yeah, if you will open your heart and your mind, people, you'll be amazed what God would do and throw off a lot of that stuff that you think you know or you think is right because God used some really special people, a 16-year-old kid, an 80-year-old man, and an overweight Southerner who loved the Lord to this very day. What a guy Myron Young is. Praise God, the people that he used to get me to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe today, somebody that's trying to get to give them a chance, my friend. There are thousands of stories as we listen and live in today's world. This has been one of them. Our first ever virtual prophecy conference starts this Friday, online and on demand. All access passes are still available. With the all access pass, you can watch presentations by 10 different speakers. Billy Crone, Bill Federer, Rabbi Kurt Schneider, Bob Cornuke, Dr. Larry Spargimino, Greg Patton, Todd Friel, Dr. Kenneth Hill, Michael Smith, and James Collins. Hours and hours of prophecy teaching that you don't want to miss. Register today and watch as many times as you want, starting on Friday and going through August the 7th. Get your pass by visiting our conference page on our website, swrc.com, or simply call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. In our Resource Center today, we have Bill Federer's series, Miracles in American History. Both books and DVDs of this outstanding series are available. Volume 1 and 2 of the books can be yours for a gift of $40 or more. Volumes 1 through 4 of the DVDs are yours for a gift of $65 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order online, swrc.com. And speaking of resources, be sure to check out our website for the latest prophecy-related materials. New items are being added almost every day, swrc.com. 
hundreds of books and DVDs right there for you, your Sunday school, or small group. Check it out, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Tomorrow, Pastor Larry will begin a visit with Rabbi Kurt Schneider, and we launch a brand new podcast. Be sure to tune in. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.